For June 24th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 260. Take the zombie challenge. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather from Los Angeles, which is still standing. We have withstood uh, the first wave of World War Z starring Brad Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) We have not become, we have not been overrun by... I don't know, people clamoring for tickets coming up over the walls of the movie theaters or anything like that. Uh, Here with the panel to talk about World War Z, so let's get right into it. Panel, uh, in honor of World War Z, what other letter would you like there to be a... um uh, a movie about a world war with that letter. That was a terrible way of formulating that question. Get <laughs> yourself together, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So I'm going to inject myself with the, you know, the adrenaline shot of, uh, or whatever Brad Pitt SARS. Yeah, exactly. Dude. <laughs> All right, hold on. All right, I am now carrying meningitis, and I'm ready to do this podcast. Uh, what other letter... <laughs> Could we have a world war uh, with and make a movie about it? World War A through Y are available to you. Uh, first in the alphabet, drink because it's not Pete. It's Ben Adams. Hey, how you doing? I, I survived. Uh, the can we double drink because it's not me? Oh man, <laughs> we were gonna drink. I was, I we were was gonna really drink. prepared to be that guy who took first away from Pete. I was going to I was going to drink once uh, for this, twice for you, and a third time when we finally do get to Fenzel. Uh, but you know, it's like a for, Jewish holiday all of a sudden. I raided the airline <laughs> cart to get all of the little mini bottles of uh, Russian-looking vodka out of the you know out of the airline. Uh, Belarus of, air. Yeah. <laughs> I love Belarus. Got it deep inside. <laughs> I love Belarus. Got you in my mind. <laughs> You know, I like to believe that yeah. Belarus Airlines actually paid for that private placement. They're like, you do realize that the plane's going to crash, and they're like, no, we'll take it. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, Belarus, spoilers Belarus for World War Z. Right, spoilers sorry. for World War Z. It's okay. The plane crashes. <laughs> that, was in the, uh, that was in the trailer, though, so I feel uh, like... Most we're, planes we're... will crash when the zombies attack, so it's not like... That was unforeseen. But but anyway, sorry. All right, all right. This is not chaos, people. This is not the zombie apocalypse. There is order. You know, there is rules. <laughs> and in the in the, the question of the week, we go in alphabetical order. So, uh, Ben, over to you. Yes. So I think I gotta go with and I don't I don't I think it's extra points if it, if it's one of the letters that also rhymes with Z. Uh, so I'm gonna go with World War P. And this is where all of the Pokemon figure out that being caught in balls and used to fight for sport is, is kind of bullshit. <laughs> and so they rebel against us. And, you know, because they have superpowers, it's a pretty tough fight. Uh, Matt, I, I'm going to turn to Matt, uh, who is a resident Poke expert, um, yeah. to, uh, to respond. Yeah, I just I, I actually spend most of today with uh, with my son and and one of his friends, and they they literally were just like staring at Pokemon cards and like discussing like what they would be like as pets. Um, <laughs> it's it, I've often wondered in the world of Pokemon is, is the word Pokemon basically replacing the word animal. Um, because it's like so you have a bunch of bird Pokemon in the Pokemon universe, but do you also have birds? Like to put it a, to, to put it another way, are there 
animals that are not Pokemon. Um, or is it, I mean, it's a very strange universe in which like anything that is not human can and should be caught and made to fight for your own amusement and glory. Like no matter how cute and innocent it is, it should be be uh, like n- not only like caged, but caged inside like a small ball and only let out in order to like fight other uh, other cute animals until one of them is rendered unconscious or dead. You know, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of Pokemon really as a very serious blood sport. It's very dark. Like bear baiting or, you know, what have you, any of the other practices that would be abhorrent to right thinking, you know, modern individuals. And there are all sorts of Pokemon apologists in the show where they're like, Pokemon love to fight. They're really glad that we caught them out of the wild and imprisoned them and are now making them fight in arenas. Like, that's really what they live for. Right, like um, Chinese political prisoners. <laughs> Pokemon is basically the Hunger Games as told from the perspective of all the people in the capital who are like the people in the district love to be put in the, the arena and fight for our amusement. <laughs> they love their victors. They, they yeah. have a train tour with them every year. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking at Bulbapedia, and Bulbapedia points out that Pikachu is described as a mouse Pokemon, which means that mice must exist. This is sort of like the, the Cartesian ontological Pokeproof, where it's like if you can conceive, you can if you can conceive of a Pokemon that's based on an animal, then it proves that animals' existence in the Poke universe. Or they did at one time until they were wiped out by all the Pokemon. Right, exactly. because certain Pokemon can throw lightning bolts, yeah. and apparently Ash dresses up as a cow at some point in the television show, which means the cows must exist. <laughs> so what would, what would a good defense be if the Pokemon rise up against us? Economic exploitation? I don't know. <laughs> Get, balls Get them credit cards. Them, right? yeah, yeah, catch them all. You have to catch them all. Yeah. It's not an option. <laughs> Failure is not an option. Player, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, re- we'll reconvene at 0800 hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. what are you gonna do? We're gonna need lots and lots of balls to win this war. <laughs> I like World War P. I think it would be a good one. I would, I would enjoy that. It would be. Oh, what a lovely war! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Belinky, you are next, and I'm drinking twice because uh, not only is Pete not first, he's not even second. Yeah, we're sort of shifting everything towards the beginning of the alphabet. Um, Anyway, I'm going to go with uh, World War A, partially because I thought I was going to be first, and I was going to make a comment relating my being first to picking A, but also because I feel like the reboot of the A-Team did not get enough traction, uh-huh. and I was really – I love that cast. I thought it was a really great cast. I even bought like Liam Neeson as like the American, um, and I was ready for a bunch of A-Team sequels, and they didn't have – is a higher stakes reboot of the A-Team, in which, you know, obviously the, the plot of the A-Team, both the TV show and the, the movie, involves um, uh, they're an elite unit and they've been framed for a crime they didn't commit. Only in this version, the, the crime they didn't commit would be an act of unspeakable terrorism. Uh, you know, bigger, bigger than anything that, that's ever happened in real life. Like, you know, it's like, oh my god, the A-Team has, like, nuked Moscow. Um, and, and the only logical response is for the entire world to declare war on the A-Team. So it was, uh, it was the idea was it would be a level of, like, uh, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, where you, like, drop a tungsten rod on London or something. Right. It's ever, right. It's, instead of uh, Cobra being responsible, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the A-Team. Um, and so that, like, now everybody is joining forces. So it, it is basically the same plot as the A-Team, only horrific and, and escalated to the point where it's, it's no longer the spirit of breezy fun that we all know and love about it. 
<laughs> so I can't see what would possibly <laughs> fail about that idea. <laughs> it might uh, it might be almost as unpleasant as World War Z, the film was to watch. <laughs> That's another kettle of fish. Let's, let's do Fez, let's do you, and then we'll right, okay, we'll get bring it. that back to segue. Yeah, all right. Uh, Pete, finally, uh, drink thrice uh, for three three quarks for Muster Fenzel. Um, <laughs> it's, it's time for you to uh, propose an apocalypse. Well, all right. So as we know, World War Z starts with some small... Of kind of, of of infections or of sort of uh, the rabid or whatever these these beings are that are coming after us, and then they then grow and proliferate to degrees that people could not possibly have foreseen or imagined, and the world is thrown forever off balance by this shifting in humanity. Which is why I want to see uh, World War L, which is uh, the L words uh, feature film action <laughs> debut, where the small group of uh, of the lives and loves of Los Angeles lesbians expands to a global plague. Uh, not a plague so much as uh, just a sort of giant drama. Just like, just extends to all corners of the earth. And I'm not, just, I'm not talking necessarily about like actual sexual identity as it's experienced in the real world. I want just that show just grows to the point where people's lives start changing. It's like a Doctor Who episode where people's heads shake a lot and all of a sudden they're Jennifer Beals and they don't know what to do about it. Right? And like the whole world is just subsumed by a, a steamy episode of the L word that, that grow, and then they start fighting each other. Uh, it can't be exploitative, though, so it'd have to be with tanks and machine guns, uh, or maybe just with like with like daggers of words that hurt, cut deeper than knives. Uh, <laughs> and of course, they all have difficulties with their relationships with people who don't understand their lifestyle, uh, which is yeah, that would pretty much be the thrust of the movie. But yeah, it would. It, I imagine them on boats or on airplanes. Just everybody. Just tons and tons of Pam Greers and Leisha Haley's and Laurel Holloman's, uh, Mia Kirshner's, everyone else on this IMDb page I'm currently looking at. <laughs> a constant global war of all against all. Because um, five seasons was not enough. We need six seasons and an apocalypse movie. That's what I'm <laughs> is, it, is it really a global war of all against all, or is it a global war of L against L? <laughs> <laughs> That's really the true tragedy, right? <laughs> okay, uh, so mine, I, mine is very similar to yours, Pete. Except it involves it involves more. Um, it, uh, it involves more more uh, the male homosexual community rather than rather than the lesbians from the L word, because uh, Broadway is rising against us. The singers and dancers and actors uh, on the great white way, the musical theater performers with their power to like jump, spin, kick very high and kick you in the head. And, uh, are, I, and along with their puppets, they are coming after us. And I call this World War Q. Uh, where be, and it begins with Avenue Q because it's a subversive musical and it's uh, very socially critical. And then Broadway realizes that it it has you know as a culture a set of cultural values uh, pretty much the opposite of everything that the rest of America believes. And so they they uh, they rise against us. And you have to decide whether you are with the uh, the ones in the tight sequence pants or uh, whether you are with you know, the rest of America standing, standing against uh, the people coming at you with their power of like singing really high notes and bringing an entire building down with the force of that uh, vibrato or, you know, um, I don't know, sexy dance fighting. 
<laughs> I, we do, I mean, that's weird that we both identified plagues that were about gender and sexual identity <laughs> to a degree. I feel uncomfortable with that. Like, I really do feel uncomfortable with that. I should have picked something else, but I couldn't think of anything really? else. Really? So was it, was it, would it have been okay if it were just you or just me? I, I feel like World War Q has to be John Delancey versus, like, James Bond's gadgets. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, fine, if you're, if you're uncomfortable. Mine was more going to be a singer-dancer a, a singer kind of thing. Oh, but after it you, was just the context. Yeah, okay, after gotcha. you went after you went there, you know, I realized, you know. As long um, as it's a close adaptation of Avenue Q. Like, as long as it stays true to its roots. Would it have lavish musical numbers? Like, <laughs> staged on an on a epic scale? Yeah, it would be. And those would be the, you know, those would be the battles that school children for hundreds of years after would be reading about. The way we read about, you know, I don't know, Washington's battles and the, the American Revolutionary the War. The great right? like, soft shoe of Yonkers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the tap that brought Omaha down. You know, <laughs> when you, you know, when they they destroy infrastructure by getting on it and uh, and tap dancing all in unison um, for the great for the you know same reason that uh, armies are not supposed to uh, march in step right when they cross bridges because the I don't know because of physics or something. <laughs> That's nice. a true. Th- that's a true thing, isn't it? Can't you like? Can't you you know destroy a bridge if if everyone marches in lockstep across it? You can destroy yes. a bridge regardless. But yeah, <laughs> and it, it is true that the armies stop marching in step over bridges. I don't know how true the science is, but armies do in fact stop. Oh, you mean because if bridges. the impact if the impact hits the bridge all at the same time, then the bridge can yeah. It's, if you, stomp, it's, stomp, I think it's stomp, a stomp, I think it's a resonant stomp. frequency thing. Uh-huh. So not it's it's like the brown noise, right? Like what? Not only would you not brown noise, brown note. It's like the brown note. Not only would you need to be marching in step, but you would need to be marching at precisely the right cadence in order to right. uh, and each right bri- size bridge. <laughs> each bridge has a unique cadence. It's printed it on a small it plaque. Probably does <laughs> the base of it. Um, all right, so uh, so World War Z. My goodness, we are efficient. That was a that was a uh, a quick brisk jog, I think, through the well, through the. This questions. movie was very efficient, actually, <laughs> wasn't it? Well, it was it was efficient, but I was I was watching it with my girlfriend, and I I don't like scary things; they scare me. So I you know while I enjoy action movies with you know great sort of super kinetic like exhilarating roller coaster rides in them, I don't uh, I don't love. Of like you know creeping down the hallway and something jumps out and scares you i don't find that enjoyable mm. and i found that that this film and you know begging for the moment the question of whether it uh, of what it what it has to do with the the book by max brooks right like this film seems seemed un, unpleasant to me kind of relentlessly unpleasant and without any of the uh, the kind of moments without any of the sort of triumphal moments or, you know, I don't know, even sort of release from the the pervading gloom that seemed to befit a summer a summer movie. Am I am I way off base? Is it just that my taste that I don't have a taste for this this kind of film or were you all just sort of? Um, I don't know. I walked out and my girlfriend said to me, I feel, I feel like I'm in a bad mood now. I feel downcast after having seen, after having seen that, uh, you know, what, what, what was your experience? Well, I mean, it is a movie about like the violent death of most of the human race. 
So, you know, it's it's definitely not it's not supposed to be uh Yeah, but and Super, I mean, I Superman suppose- had that and you know, was it was <laughs> <laughs> But Superman isn't supposed to have that either. <laughs> right. But this this um, also wasn't just oh go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. You know, it's it's just funny, like my reaction was the opposite in a way that, that nobody has any business making a zombie movie that is rated PG thirteen. Huh. That and zombie movies should be bloody and they should be gory, uh, because they are about walking corpses who who want to. I mean, you know, obviously the, the traditional cliche is eat your brains, but at the very least, when you chop off somebody's hand, there should be blood. Um, and I, I, I felt I felt the lack. I definitely felt like there is a cut somewhere of a much more grisly uh, World War Z, and that is the movie I wish I were watching. There, there should be blood. Is the is the name of the airline cut? of uh paul thomas anderson's <laughs> see see i'm between the two of you in that i agree with blinky in that i thought i was surprised by how not brutal this movie was and how positive it was and how sort of not awful it was because i totally expected to be watching brad pitt watch his children die right like yeah. oh my god I, it was what i was telling everybody before i went to go see this movie i was like here i go going to watch brad pitt watch his children die and like oh boy like i really didn't want to watch this movie because i felt like i was just going to watch human awfulness because that's sort of where a lot of i mean i read a lot of the first like 80 volumes of issues of The Walking Dead. You know, I did watch the first season of the show, but I just fatigued on all that stuff because there's just so much. Not, not to give any spoilers about what happens in The Walking Dead. I haven't given any spoilers about what happens in The Walking Dead, but like, it's just so awful. And, and so I was surprised that this movie didn't have any of that. But unlike Blinky, I liked that the movie didn't have as much of that, that I felt like the movie was less about the, the kind of um, you know awfulness. But at the same time, it's also, I think, moves it away from being a zombie movie. And contrary to popular belief among many of my friends, I'm really not all that fond of the zombie genre at this point in my life. Like, maybe I was more when I was younger. But uh, it just, zombie movies are supposed to be so bleak. I agree with Matt. They're supposed to be so bleak. But I agree with Matt in that that's not really what I wanted yeah. to see. So the I, movie kind I, of surprised on both ends. Well, here's, kind of, here's the thing. Oh, so, sorry, Ben. I'm, uh, you go first, and then I'll, I'm going to circle back to Pete's end. I kind of come down, and I come, kind of come down where Pete does, that... I didn't see this really as a zombie movie, and I can, can, can get into why. What I think there, I think there's some key things that you see in zombie movies that you don't see in this movie. Um, I saw it much more as like a natural disaster movie, where the natural disaster happened to be zombies. Yeah, um, it, and so like it actually see, reminded like, me like, a lot of uh, of 2012. If anyone I, I, had seen that one, you, you took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly what yeah. I was about to say. Is that this was very much running around in the face of this oncoming wave of disaster. Um, but at least to start with, what kind of differentiated this from at least a lot of zombie movies is I don't think at any point do we see a zombie that is someone that we knew as a character. Mm. At all points, the zombies are just kind of like they could have been aliens for all intents and purposes because they're never recognized as human other than just kind of in dialogue. Sure. Um, they're just kind of this wave. There's this. I mean, there was one point in South Korea, right, where the the guy who was the leader of the of the holdouts there uh, got bit, right? Right. But but he and takes he, himself out before it becomes before he actually goes after one of his own men or his friends. Right. Right. That's what I mean. So so they have that element of like infection, but they don't have that element of like, oh my god, I'm about to shoot the guy, the body that yeah. used to be my best. I gotta friend. like kill my like, own wife. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if the zombies had all been dogs, the movie would not have been any different. 
or or let's say like I am Legend style, where they're not even really human anymore. They're they're computer generated yeah. uh, creatures. Um, and it definitely, you know, what what struck me about the zombies is like when they move, they move like water almost. You know, it's almost like a flood is breaking. You know, it crests over the wall, and then it's just a wave that just tips over the bus and just sort of pours down the staircase. And it really it really didn't seem so much as like creatures coming to get you as like this city's going underwater. Why why can uh, zombies jump higher once they're zombies, right? Like why I mean, why should your I muscles Danny Boyle for all this. Danny Boyle and of course 28 days later is what I'm referring to. In a way he he um saved Ruined. the zombie genre. <laughs> yeah, well that's the thing. It's like he he made zombies newly popular by showing this new type of zombies. But in another way I really do think he ruined it and and I mean I think at some point we're going to have to address the massive differences between this movie and book on which it's supposedly based, one of them is like, I really do feel like Max Brooks is envisioning a very traditional, a bit of a shambling zombie, a zombie that takes a while to turn. Um, and it, and it's just sort of the massive numbers and the uncontainable effect of the, the spread that makes the zombies fearsome. It's not this sort of like instant, you know, 12 seconds to turn. And then it's an instant force of nature that cannot, I mean, like the, one of the scenes I really didn't like is where, you know, the people are barricaded in their apartment and it sort of, uh, depicts that zombies are literally bashing through the deadbolt and, and knocking through the door in mere seconds. Because that to me, to me, the great thing about zombies is one zombie should not be a threat. Even like five zombies shouldn't be a threat. It's not that each individual zombie is scary. It's just that the whole world is zombies and they are never going to rest and they're never going to go away. And you have to adjust to that. Um, and, it, and it's not that like a zombie is a fearsome predator. And, and I, I guess I don't like this new trend where like even one zombie could, could conceivably overpower a group of soldiers yeah, I would also say it's notable that this is clearly the Brad Pitt zombie movie because so much of it is about, is about uh, humanitarianism uh, and the nature of the threat, right? You're like Ben said this was like a natural disaster. Uh, it's a lot like – I mean even if you think about the ending shots where they're distributing the vaccine and it straight, looks straight out of a Save the Children or UNICEF ad, right? Where this is like – this is saying the, the evil is out there and the evil is victimizing billions of innocent people. Um, but we shouldn't be afraid of it. We should confront it with courage and resourcefulness and then we will like sort of – ease the suffering of the human race. It seems like an insurmountable problem, but it isn't because we believe in ourselves. And in that sense, it's about kind of fighting polio or dehydration, right? Or like, yeah. or, or diarrhea or any of the other things that kills uh, so many people, right? Um, I mean, polio, I guess, isn't as hugely widely distributed as it, is, as it was before, but um, you know what I mean, right? It's about humanitarian yeah. crisis and our, and our trying to fight like the great mass of human suffering, which seems insurmountable. But zombie movies are usually Usually about a human crisis that is actually insurmountable, like an existential crisis, right? Right? Yeah, Where, yeah and, and that's and that's what they're that's what they're right. about, like sure. socially and, existential. Problem. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've seen now to contrast it against this, I've seen uh, the George Romero zombie movies, right? And those are those are really horrifying, but they don't, but they're not horrifying because you know I don't know something scary is going to jump out at the end of a long hallway, right? And I, I think they're, well, they're makes- horrifying. It's it's other people, right? Yeah, that, that's a, I think the in zombie movies, the message of a lot of zombie movies is that the real threat isn't the zombies. The real threat is the people that are now turning yeah. horrible in in the face of this this threat. And inside the shopping mall, 
Right. Yeah. That that I mean, that's I, the real the real danger. Kind of. I thing. remember this Walking Dead poster that was plastered all over town, and the tagline on it, making it very opaque, was I think like "Fight the dead, fear the living." And you know, I, and th- I agree with you that that's every zombie movie I've ever seen. And and to take it a step further, the idea that the institutions that once protected you, these institutions are now threatening and turn against you. And I think, spoiler alert for the original Night of the Living Dead, it's got this great, almost like Rod Serling type ending, where the protagonist survives the zombie apocalypse only to get shot by the police. Yeah. <laughs> and who mistake him for a zombie. And I do think that, like, in many zombie movies, there's a sense that, like, the army isn't going to save you. If anything, the army is going to kill you. as And that's definitely in the World War Z book, the idea that... And, and it's not because the army is evil. It's because that, like, the, the human calculus changes so radically that, like, you are collateral damage at a certain point. And that if you want to survive, it's going to be in spite of these governmental institutions and not because of them and then like i'm, I'm saying all this to say that like what i i got exactly what pete was saying about the movie and that nobody over the course of this movie abandons their post in the face of the apocalypse nobody betrays anybody else and kills them to get their phone nobody you know like like even as the city is collapsing none of the israeli soldiers are like i gotta go save my kids none of them are like forget this air traffic controller stuff the airport's being overrun <laughs> you're on your own that that like, it does have the sunny view of humanity which is that like up until the point where the zombies get us everybody's going to keep doing the very best thing like nobody is rushing the airplane trying to get on it you know that like it's it's very orderly you know even as even as the cities are falling uh the soldiers aren't abandoning the military bases everybody's doing the best they can uh and making noble sacrifices and i guess i guess i'm gonna say that like i didn't particularly like this and i guess the the one exception which i do want to mention to be fair is the scene close to the beginning where they go to the drugstore and it is kind of martial law in that when the police officer comes he doesn't even care about the murder that happens right in front of him he's he's just like grabbing stuff for his own family but then like after you get out of that after the uh, the soldiers come to pick them up from newark there is this feeling that like despite the fact that like 90 percent of humanity is dead or something everyone's just going to keep doing their jobs because like we are we are professionals. It is I, I funny that Newark that. is the is the worst place in the world. Like Newark <laughs> yeah, is literally is the only the worst bad place. place in the world. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Ben. <laughs> I, was, I was actually going to mention that scene as the one scene where society breaks down. And it was actually like for me, I wasn't a big fan of that scene because it happens like six hours into the apocalypse. <laughs> like it's not like, like it's literally like the same afternoon that Brad Pitt has escaped from Philadelphia and like already the whole first act is very quick right everything right. is sped up but like um, already people are like snatching women out of grocery stores to do you know right. unspeakable things to and police are banning their posts like literally hours after the like nobody even knows what's happening yet and we're already like in thunderdome mode and then as you point out the rest of the movie <laughs> Everybody's great. Everybody's like helping out Brad Pitt just because they can. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I think it's interesting that Brad Pitt himself is the only person in the course of the movie who I hear saying like, forget it. I'm not doing my job because like I'm just going to look out for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. He suggests that and then, and then is sort of forced to dismiss it. But like nobody else, you know, no, none of those guys at the World Health Organization are like, forget it. Like we, we've given up and we've gone home to like barricade ourselves in with food. They're all there like, you know, trying to in, in case they get a call that they can respond to. <laughs> 
Yeah, I felt like this movie was the social institutions of the 1950s going up to George Romero and being like, it's okay, we got this. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you know, like, this is all taken care of. Uh, and it's, it is kind of a slap in the face. But the other thing about it is that I feel like this is a zombie movie made for a culture that has seen perhaps too many zombie movies, right? It's like the reason that they move through the apocalypse in the first 15 minutes of the movie is that at this point, we don't even want to watch it anymore, right? (laughs) It's like, oh man, here they go. They're going to go into New York and people are going to have to hide in the apartment building and then they're going to have to get, oh, here's the noise on the stairs. And it's like, this is a movie that's been accelerated because it's like, you're bored of it by now, right? Like, and maybe you probably, if you like zombie movies, you're probably not, right? And like, uh, but this movie, the people making this movie, it's like they didn't even really want to make a zombie movie. They wanted to make a movie that had specific scenes in it that they thought were better, and so they they yeah. brushed past a lot of this, this the early stuff. Yeah, um, I think I, I got the strong feeling, and I, I think we all might have gotten this in different ways. That there is an earlier version somewhere where his family is left to die because they think yeah. he's dead, and I think and and it's not even like I said before. It's not that the army is evil. It's that the aircraft carrier can only support a certain number of people. And they have this scene earlier where they're like, well, the water filter can't really handle this many people. And here's the thing. 2012, certainly not a great movie, but one of the things I liked about it or or I enjoyed overthinking about it is this Oliver Platt character who's this sort of bureaucrat who has to literally come up with a plan for the survival of the human race, knowing that like 99.99999% of people are going to die, and and does a great job of it, actually successfully Garrett, and is, is treated like a monster because he obviously has to write off most of the human race, but the fact is like, you kind of need people to make those decisions, and that's one, you know, yet another thing that comes out really well in the book. And of course, at this one, it's like even after they think Brad Pitt is dead and they have no sort of like moral obligation to keep his family alive any more than any other human being on earth, they still set up this nice little refugee camp. And even though Brad Pitt, um, you know, is, is 100% convinced that they could be in grave danger, they're not in grave danger. They're very well protected and they're perfectly fine. Um, it actually seemed, it, it, it seemed quite picturesque up there yeah, in Nova Scotia. And it, it does strike me as a cop ad. It strikes me like an any zombie movie where society is collapsing, you do need to sort of like at least have one character who's who's making these like impossible decisions. Like, I'm sorry, we've got to abandon them to probable death because the stakes are high and we can't save everybody. Well, there is Brad Pitt's uh, pilot who just bolts out of his reel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leaves him behind. <laughs> I, mean, I, guess he, I guess he bolts, but he asked for permission from the tower to do it. Yeah, the air traffic like, people are doing well. Out of, out of, you know, like at that point, he has no. How long was he supposed to wait? It's like I almost, I, I don't feel like that was necessarily an act of cowardice. Yeah, even though, it's like, also, maybe it was supposed to be that way. <laughs> and Brad Pitt's reaction is like, "Oh, damn it!" <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not like they have a conversation beforehand about it, and you're kind of worrying that maybe the pilot doesn't have the courage to do it. He's going to betray them. But it's like the same kind of reaction you would have if your flight all your flight left without you under any circumstances, <laughs> right? It's like, oh man, like there goes the airplane. Yeah, you know, like, I guess I have to find another way out of here. Um, it, it was shocking to me when he got on that Belarusian airplane, and it's like it's no more full than any other flight. There's not because that is literally the last group of people who are going to live in that city, and yeah. it's not. I didn't see like an angry mob scrambling to get on that had to be held that had to be killed with guys from machine guns so that plane could get out. You know, it's like I, I do feel like whether it's Brad Pitt himself or whoever the producers were, like these people, they wanted to take some of the images 
that that comes from this sort of apocalyptic zombie movie, but strip it of the sort of like really grim negativity of a lot of the world turning on the other part of a lot of the world. Well, right, and it's like it wasn't just that the airplane wasn't crowded; it's that the the tarmac was operating in such an orderly fashion <laughs> that it was clear that like ground control and air traffic control were were still operating business as usual. You know that that like. Uh, there wasn't the sort of failure failure of institutions. All right, I'm pausing to bring in, uh, he's joining us a little late, but uh, Jordan Stokes is joining us, a zombie connoisseur himself. Welcome uh, to the podcast, sir. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Uh, good. Uh, so, so sort of continuing on, I know some of you have, have read the books. In fact, probably everybody but me has, has read the book. Can you educate me as to how... Uh, uh, the, the the many ways that the film adaptation probably destroyed your your beloved World War Z by Max Brooks. Uh, I, here's here's the main thing I would say is that in the book, which is remarkable. I mean, like really not only good but like eye openingly. Like it, it's really this guy like looked at a whole genre of zombie uh, movies and stories and, and saw that maybe only like 10% of the stories that could be told had been told, you know, cause they're all about like, here's how one group of people survive in one particular place. And here's the thing. It's like the, the people making this movie, they, they got the sense that like, you know, what if this was on the scale of like cities being destroyed all over the world, but it, it's not just, um, it's not just the geographical scope that the movie has. It's like, if you, uh, that the book has, if you read the book, you're going to learn the guys who had to fight the zombies underwater, you're going to learn what Steven Spielberg did to produce, uh, like, public relations videos. You're going to learn what, like, a group of celebrities did to make, like, an armed luxury compound in Long Island. You learn, you know, about the radio operators. You learn about the guys who had to train the dogs who, uh, who you know, went in and, and, like, looked for... You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's all these things that you never thought and so like yes you read about these large-scale battles in these cities being evacuated but you also learn about these like floating ghost ships the ships that have been completely taken over with zombies and will like float in the ocean and years later will like you know um make land and all those zombies will disembark and all these like on every page there was such creativity and such sort of thinking through all the possibilities of this of the zombie apocalypse that that, that really sort of took my breath away when i first read it that's the thing it's basically the book is about 50, 60 discrete pitches for totally different zombie movies. Yeah. Making that into each one zombie good. movie is going to be tough. There, there's one about like a nuclear submarine that that in like what happens to the nuclear, you know, the self-contained nuclear submarine with the nukes once zombies uh, take over the government of their homeland. And it's I, they'd all be great movies, but it's like yeah, it's like fifty or sixty of them in one little book. So it's like Crimson Crimson Tide with zombies. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, there's a bit about, like, people in Europe who actually, all these castles that have become museums suddenly become really useful again because the castle is perfect for holding out against, uh, against it. There's a bit about uh, how the French have to clean out the catacombs under Notre Dame from zombies yeah. and everything. You know, there's a bit about how it originally spreads through, there's all these organs being harvested from Chinese political prisoners, and those get exported to, like, Buenos Aires or Rio, and they get import they get put into really rich patients who then like run amok through the hospital you know, it's like you know and like that's what i'm saying like each one of these ideas is like if you wrote them out as like a two-sentence pitch you'd be like that's a really clever idea and then they're all fleshed out and i mean and also 
I think there's a lot of skill. There's a lot of writerly skill in executing it, which is that each chapter has a different voice. A lot of them are monologues. Some of them, oh, I forgot another one that I love, which was uh, the people on the International Space Station, what they do, huh. because they're, they're stuck in space with no hope of resupply. And, right. and like what experience being stuck in space there. And it's like you would never think of that in a million years. Um, and it's just, and so this, here's, here's what I said when I came out of World War Z, which is that like World War Z, the movie, was exciting and it was compelling, but it wasn't very interesting. And everything that was interesting about the book had been taken out. And, and the only thing that was left was the idea of this sort of citywide zombie infestation on a large canvas. The movie I mean, about, about, oh, go ahead. Let's say the movie has about five minutes at the end where it shows all the stuff that I wanted to see in the movie, where it's showing like snippets of like, here's what's going on in Russia. And here's like this clever plan to lure all the zombies into a stadium so we can blow it up with one bomb. All this I, stuff is all done funny. in montage. And like, that's for, the for movie, movie that they should have made. Sorry about that. For a movie called World War Z, what doesn't happen in the movie until the last five minutes is any attempt to fight the zombies. Like, right. you never really see the army being like, and even like, you know, in the book, they make this big deal. They keep referring to the Battle of Yonkers, which is basically like the United States Army, uh, you know, once New York gets overrun, sets up this army and they're like, we're going to stop the zombie horde that's marching out of the city. Um, and it obviously goes really poorly. And then later in the book, they refine their techniques and they manage to push the zombies back. You never see the army actually fight the zombies in an organized way. You just see them reacting to being overrun yeah, I I feel like the chain uh, goes sort of like this, which is that the thing that interested the producers about Max Brooks's book is that it said in a zombie apocalypse situation, there are bigger problems that humanity is going to face than just the zombies that happen to be chasing you at a given time. Right? There's going to be all sorts of implications to the way the international order works, to the way that societies work. And they're like, oh, good, because those are the things that I'm interested in. And then what they did was they made a movie in which those things are metaphorically represented as zombies. Right, like there's an extent, like 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 there's a there's a there's like an allegory about the zombies coming over the wall into Israel that is about sort of like social inequality in the Middle East and is kind of about how you know the effectiveness or lack of effectiveness of certain kinds of exclusion and it's like but it's but it's like if this were actually World War Z you would be talking about those actual issues and not just showing the zombies literally coming over the wall like the zombies would be happening but then you would have like how are the Israelis and the and the people in Gaza like is Gaza doing really well because it's totally barricaded off, right? Like, and all of a sudden you have to talk about what that situation is, right? Like, like uh, that's sort of the loop that you get into where you end up kind of like, it's almost like refried beans. It's like refried, refried brains. That, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, and, wanted to... and, oh, go ahead, Stokes. No, I was going to say, like, in, instead of that, what they do is they invent a situation on the ground in Israel, which is not the case, right? Like, as far as I know, correct me, uh, the, the entirety of Israel is not behind giant concrete walls, Well, it's right? just <laughs> Jerusalem, right? It's just the old city of Jerusalem. I mean, the actual city is much, much bigger than what's depicted there. Uh-huh. Yeah, but but still, yeah, like, the, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because the walls are around the areas that they try to keep people in. Rather huh. than it's where they try to keep people out, right? Like, um, isn't that the idea? Or it's mostly social and economic walls, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Think about it. Really, really, you in the theater, you're the wall. <laughs> yeah. In a way. And then, and then, of course, like, you know, from just a plot perspective, they don't really explain 
how Israel was sure enough that the zombie invasion was coming to build this ridiculously large wall. In the book, I recall it being a little more like, yes, there's the bit about like Israel has to be skeptical because they face existential threats that no other country does. But then they actually do go into more detail about how they, they were pretty sure that the zombies were coming for – they had evidence and not just like what if. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way – and it actually shocked me when it happened. I'm almost positive that this is the only non-sort of satire zombie movie ever made where the word zombie... Uh, they say zombie in Shaun of the Dead. They say zombie in Zombieland. But I don't think anywhere in like Night of the Living Dead do they talk about, like, oh, the zombies are attacking. Um, you know, it, it's... It's like jarring, especially because these are clearly not zombies are like when the dead come back to life. This is an infection. This is outbreak. So it, it seems like there's nothing dead or undead about these guys. It's a horrible disease. So it, it almost struck me as like strange that people would be like, oh, we're fighting the undead. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you have to remember that not only have these people seen Night of the Living Dead, they have seen 28 Days Later, right? So <laughs> their concept of the zombie is different from yours or mine. <laughs> it is interesting, but I feel like in any monster movie, you always have to wonder, it's like, do the people fighting the vampires, have they seen Dracula? Or does Dracula not exist in the world where, you know, Dracula ex- Because I always did feel that, like, when you're watching zombie movies, I guess maybe not this one, that, like, other zombie movies never exist. The great exception to that is uh, Return of the Living Dead, where they try the headshot based on Night of the Living Dead, and it totally doesn't work. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a great line. It was like, well, it worked in the movie. Yeah. It's not working now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it and- is, I mean, it, it is, you know, it, in terms of, like, you know, trying the movie, it, nobody really seems horrified about this it's like it's almost like too big for anyone to react to but like did you see a single person in this movie like break down in shock because like most of the world has just been violently killed like nobody really cries nobody you know no, the closest the closest, nobody thing, prays. the closest thing to that is the daughters right and they're and they're mostly like they're mostly an obstacle to you know getting out okay it's mostly like shh, shh, shh darling be quiet you know we we're, we have to run from the zombies now Every now and then, they would cut away to an extra, you know, um, who seemed a little bit upset about the situation. But for the most part, no. Yeah, like you you were saying before, they tried to cut all of that aspect out of it because otherwise it wouldn't be PG-13, right? The unpleasantness, the the, the psychological (laughs) unpleasantness about... Because it's like, to me, it's like, you know, I think what comes out really well in, like, I think Dawn of the Dead, which is the one where they hole up in the mall, is that, you know, the... You can find ways to survive in a zombie world. The question is like whether you really want to live that way in a, in a place where you're basically in an armed mall and outside the mall are, are these creatures waiting to kill you and, uh, you know, like marauding gang is waiting to kill you. I don't know. I mean, I, I like the idea that like it's, it's, it's coping with the fact that like the world might never be the same. And this movie moved too quickly to, to, to get to the issue of like – you know, like nobody commits suicide in this movie out of the sheer horror and, and magnitude of what's happened. Nobody chooses to. to and I, I agree, it's, it's PG 13, but I also feel like it's, it's ducking a lot of what a zombie movie is, um, which is just like, you know, that society is broken down. Now, what are you going to do about it? I, I feel like people are more traumatized by what Superman did to Metropolis than they were by 
<laughs> but I, I do I do think that getting to the heart of kind of what the movie is about ideologically, it really goes to this idea of people at their posts. Like the mantra I repeated about non-essential personnel, right? Like there's a real smug elitism to this movie, and it's like the elitism of um, – I guess it's sort of the pro- a professional class of sorts where this idea that if you have an interesting, compelling job, it uh, somewhat either li- – it liberates you, it elevates you above uh, a certain sort of widespread uh, existential issue that humanity is facing, right? Which is like, you know, these people are so admirable because they're doing the important work, right? And, and like the people who are going to be fine in the zombie apocalypse are the people who work for the UN or, you know, the people who, who are in these kinds of organizational, logistical, international aid things and stuff. And, and everybody else people is just will give raving. their lives. And, like people will yeah. give their lives to save Brad Pitt, and 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 basically, like not because Brad Pitt, you know, has like his blood carries the secret, or even because he has all the answers, just because he has a set of skills that might come in handy. Yeah. What I am is a zombie hunter with a very special set of skills. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. And, I never really bought. The, I mean, he as a character wasn't much of a character, right? Besides his love for his family, he doesn't have much of a personality, and I'm not sure he did anything in the course of the movie that makes me see that like, even though he's quit his job for a few years, he is worth sending that helicopter 200 miles to pick up because he's so damn good. They flirted my, for us. Go on, please. I was saying, my, one of my favorite parts of the movie, and it, it, this, I'm fairly certain that this scene was written by a different... Because the, the production history of the film, they had a whole different ending... And then they had to go back. It didn't work, and so they were at least they decided it didn't work. And they went back and shot the whole scene in the WHO in England. Just so that like was written by yeah. So that was written by I think Damon Lindelof, who didn't write the rest of the movie. And that scene was very different. And there's a great part where Brad Pitt is like saying that, "Oh, I'm doing this for my family, and you have no idea what I like. You can't possibly imagine what I'm going through because you know I'm trying to save my family because the guy has just said he doesn't have a family." And then the guy's just like, no, I don't have a family because my family died, like, <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. And just, like, completely calls him out on his crap that he's, like, trying to be special. Yeah. yeah. That got actually a pretty big, I mean, not a big laugh, but it's supposed to be so grim. And it got a laugh in the theater I was in. <laughs> it was sort of like. Yeah. Well, the yeah. final the final zombie, which was like, yeah, this, this was a film that, like, it didn't seem to build to a crescendo. It seemed to start very loud and then kind of decrescendo into, a, like, a more and more more like quieter smaller yeah yeah and that and like the the laughs in the theater where i saw it were for the the kind of like chicken noises and chicken faces made by that made by that final zombie in the lab coat yeah Yeah. the face-to-face zombie yeah who is just a a hungry person who doesn't understand how to help himself and needs the international aid worker to figure out how to fix him (laughs) right (laughs) oh the big the big the funniest moment i thought the moment that got the big laugh in my theater was the world's most delicious pepsi like that was just (laughs) that moment was just beyond that was like (laughs) is that that the greatest product placement of the summer so far i I think that's the greatest product placement i've ever seen Well, especially especially knowing the production history of the movie, right? Because, like, they had an ending which didn't work. Then they needed to, like, spend, you know, 
twenty million dollars to uh, to shoot that last act, and then they needed to pay for that with product placement. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do like. I mean, it is kind of interesting how, like, once Brad Pitt himself is terminally ill, he's no longer troubled by the presence of the living dead, and just sort of walks through them like totally chill. And also, like, because he's sort of accepted that he's going to die, or at least like he's accepted the literal SARS thing into his body. Like, even the Pepsi tastes better, right? Like, <laughs> also, like, not only that, but it's like Pepsi rewards him for enjoying it by like clattering loudly in a large group upon the ground and like saving everybody from the zombie. Yeah. Take the zombie the way, challenge. <laughs> during that scene, I figured out a better way out of Brad Pitt's predicament, which is that like he can't ask for help because although he has like a whiteboard and he knows that they can see the camera he can't reach the phone outside but what he could have done is write on the whiteboard like one ring for yes two rings for no and then right did you think that too and i was thinking like that would i would have appreciated that a lot more because it would have shown like ah this is a valuable guy with like a lot of a lot of resourceful skills who's gonna like figure out and then he could like hold up because here's the thing he could have very well injected himself with something that couldn't be easily cured by a single injection right yeah they, they he could have like, yeah, and and I, I think it it actually would have been a really interesting ending, although it would have cut off any sequels. Has he like he does successfully like figure out how to do the zombie camouflage, but he gives himself a fatal disease in the process. Yeah, or that a- or that it's a it's like a. Um- you know, it's an Independence Day. You put an Independence Day solution to the zombie problem, which is that you need someone to sacrifice themselves. You know, every yeah. every group of zombie needs every group of zombies needs a Randy Quaid. Right. Actually, you know what I thought was going to happen, and I was actually looking forward to it, and it didn't happen, which is that at the very end, he has this triumphal scene where he walks through the hallway, all the zombies go past him, and then he gets to the end of the hallway, and they don't open the door because he can't come back. And I think that would have been cool, which is that, like, like I, we appreciate what you just did, but you have a fatal disease, and right. you are you have become a zombie in a way. Like, you become some of the walking dead. Um you know, and he's stuck on that side of the hospital. But that's not the movie they wanted to make. They wanted to certainly leave themselves open for any number of sequels. Although, I think we can all agree that that if they do a sequel, the first thing that has to happen is it has to mutate in a way that, like, you can't give an entire army a vaccine so the zombies just don't attack them. Because it, it sure. makes it laughably easy to fight the zombie threat. If you can just stop zombies from attacking you, it has to be like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. It wore off. Is there, I mean, right. is, there, is there a resolution in the book, World War Z, other than kind of an uneasy detente with no, the, the resolution the is you have to shoot all the zombies in the head. Is <laughs> yes. that they, they literally go through and kill all the zombies, and it takes many, many years. Yeah, the, the, book is, the book is kind of like the first half is about society breaking down, like all the ways that our institutions fail us when we need them to work to fight the zombies. Like big business, you know, tries to sell these fake vaccines that ends up getting a bunch of people infected. You know, government Covers fails. Because they don't want the stock market to crash. Yeah. And then the second half of the book is like society rebuilding itself. Like how can we rebuild our institutions after it's collapsed and then like mount this massive war like battle back across the country like literally there's a chain of soldiers stretching from like the canadian border in the north to the mexican like to the ocean in the south and like marching east to retake hmm. america how awesome would that be by the way? like that's what i was looking forward to see is a war oh, yeah. against the if you will a world war 
against zombies. That's not, that's not what this was. Don't you remember that idea that was floating around of that movie that, that Peter Jackson was going to make where it was going to be oh, World, World War One? Yeah, and like all of a sudden the dead in World War One start rising as zombies and all of the people in World War One need to team up and fight against the zombies right, together. The I, thought, French. I wonder if the title of that was supposed to be World War Z because that, that <laughs> seems like it really would have lended itself well to that title. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, it's one know. of the interesting things about... Um, the way that society gets rebuilt in the book is that in many ways it's a fairly disturbing world that you end up living in, right? Like, in order to combat this menace, um, some parts of the globe are doing pretty much okay, but like, but Russia goes kind of comically awry, as I recall. And, uh, and there are a lot of places where, you know, civil liberties are taking a hit and so on. Um, and it makes me think of... One of the obvious uh, keystones for the zombie genre in general, and I think for this particular visualization of the zombies, uh, Leningen versus the ants, right? Yeah. Which we all read in, yeah. in high school English class. Um, and the way that, that that works, right, is that, like, yes, you can kill the zombies or the ants, as it may be, but you have to sacrifice a heck of a lot to do it, right? And, uh, and, it, and it gives you one of those classic think-about-it endings, who was the real monster after all, which this movie does none of that. Right, like uh, there is a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that's totally undoable um, and has no consequences whatsoever. Yeah. So, I don't know. It sort of wants to have its cake and eat it too, I guess. Yeah, it, it definitely. Where it wants to depict the apocalypse, but but shy away from all the unpleasant elements of it. Yeah. Wow. Hey, I found uh, I found the original uh, description of the original ending of the movie. You guys want me to read it to you guys? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the plane that Jerry and Segan board is bound for Moscow. When they land, everyone on board is rounded up by the military. The elderly and the sick are executed, and the healthy people, including a very shaken Jerry, are immediately drafted into the armed service, though not before one particularly nasty Russian soldier takes Jerry's cell phone. The story then jumps forward an unknown amount of time, and we catch up with Jerry, who has a full beard and has been part of Russia's <laughs> zombie-clearing squad for at least long enough for it to have changed to winter. He looks almost dead inside, but the reality is that over this time he's become an experienced and ruthless zombie killer and he's the leader of his own capable unit and that's <laughs> the end of the movie that's, that's wow. the to be continued yeah yeah pretty much I, <laughs> at, least, at least I like the part where it's like maybe the government isn't going to help you just because you're from the UN it's like oh you're yeah. from the UN okay tell us where you want to land the plane <laughs> we all love the UN everyone cooperates with everything the UN wants <laughs> right right yeah yeah so, yeah, and apparently this was like, oh, boy, when they screened it, they're like, that didn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> they actually went as far as they, they made that ending. Yeah, and they hired the guy who wrote, like, Nash Bridges and Parts of Lost to rewrite it as an actual story. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because it kind of flips the message of the book on its head. Because the book is very much like there is no magic solution. Like, the magic solution yeah. is you know, better tactics or, like, more efficient. Yeah. Like, there's a, it's, to, it's, it's, not, it's a million little solutions. Yeah. Whereas this and one also, is like, no, there is a magic solution. Well, there, you just need a smart guy to figure it out. It's meningitis. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think, I think like the, the heart of the, the, the part that really stuck out in me as the sort of turning point in World War Z, the book, is this uh, what goes on in South Africa. Yeah. Which is that they, they have this strategy. I forget what it's called, but they basically come up with the idea that like we have to stop trying to evacuate people from the cities. We have to leave people in the cities because that means the zombies will stay in the cities. And while the zombies are in the cities eating all the people we're not evacuating, we can figure out what to do. And a lot of hmm. people are like, this is horrible, but the reality is like, 
this is what we need to do to survive. And like, that's kind of what I want to see from a zombie movie is like people having to make these hard decisions and other people having to live with them. Right. Right. And I, if I want to see if I want to see a John Wayne kind of character take on a whole bunch of zombies, it might we could go with like a slightly more colorful John Wayne kind of character. Sure, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. if you're going to make zombie Van Helsing, then by all means, right? Like <laughs> get Hugh Jackman. Back. <laughs> uh, the the one thing that I found interesting about the solution they do come up with this movie is it's. It's kind of a almost environmentalist idea that like maybe not environmentalist, maybe that's the right word, but it's kind of this idea that like you have to humble yourself before nature. Like that's the solution is to like bring yourself low mm-hmm. so that we can get around this natural disaster. Um and I don't know exactly what they're going with for, but that's kind of what I got out of um the solution they come up with here at the end. Right. And, and, and the pontificating that the, the microbiologist does, right, about nature being a serial killer and, and leaving clues for you, which, of course, is not very scientific, you know, as a line <laughs> of thought, that, that nature is a person who is like a Batman villain, right? Like, <laughs> all the symptoms are coming in pairs. It's too <laughs> Wait, Although, I do have to say World that, like, War Z, Z, like Z, the English yeah. pronunciation of the letter Z, and Z is like, it rhymes with bed, which is where people sleep, but who sleeps <laughs> yeah. the most? Convalescence, convalescence in a home, a hospital, the elderly, yes, you know, like old chum. <laughs> basically that, basically yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I do want to say that, like, one scene I really loved in this movie was they introduced this, this Harvard scientist who's, who's supposed to be, like, the world's greatest expert they fly him halfway across the world and like i was fully expecting him to be like you know sort of nerdy almost comic relief that like brad pitt is like trying to drag through these dangerous situations and keep alive and he instantly instantly shoots himself and that was brad pitt's one job the reason they like airlifted brad pitt out is like he can probably keep this guy alive no And I, I did kind of love that part, just the idea that, like, okay, we have a plan, here's the setup for the rest of the movie, and it instantly um, <laughs> yeah. falls apart. That and, does make World War Z the best movie about firearm safety that I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a movie be like, have trigger discipline. Like, don't run around with your hand on your gun. It's dangerous. Don't give a gun to a Harvard man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's a thought, right? The... Uh, the plan that they have at the end is to have everybody in the world get injected with meningitis, right? And, <laughs> and some other stuff. That's actually a non-trivial public health-like task, right? I, I, I put it to you. I don't know. The North Koreans managed to pull everybody's teeth. That's exactly it. The North Korean solution is a much better solution. Sure. Because you don't need to get a stockpile of virus to people, right? Like, you can do that yourself in a bathroom with, like, a hammer, if, if you're sufficiently motivated. And also probably, although, you know, getting your teeth pulled out is really painful and you're gonna have to like you know buy pudding futures now because it's gonna be a hot commodity like the the public health fallout is probably considerably less than injecting everybody with meningitis and then hoping that you can you know cure everybody using the penicillin or whatever that's uh, that's supposed to fight it i guess i mean like yeah that's what about children? Do you think if you're a child, does your adult teeth grow in once you're a zombie? Like if they <laughs> <not> a <baby. laughs> 
That's there were no, oh yeah, there were no children zombies, by the way, right? Like there were no, oh, yeah. there were no really horror. Yeah, there were no really psychologically horrifying zombies. There's, there's no like dead that. alive, brain dead baby zombie chase through the park like Peter Jackson no. style. There sure. was this weird echo that like, does anyone remember the remake of Dawn of the Dead? Wasn't the original mm-hmm. scene like the parents are asleep in bed and the little kid opens the door and then the little kid attacks and kills them and. Almost the same thing begins at this movie, but it's not that. And it's almost like like that's all you need to know about the movie, which is that like they could have set up. I mean, like, or at least it, it echoes a situation which is unimaginably horrific and makes it into something which is like touchy feely. And then of course, like the family, it, it ends with like the family reunited and nobody's been hurt and it was all you know. Yeah. There, there are no consequences as far except as uh, for that, Brad Pitt. except for that one kid's parents. But you know, yeah. <laughs> it seems like Brad yeah. Pitt makes more money than their family did anyway. So really, you trade it up. The next, the next Philly season is going to be marginally worse than the previous Philly season. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did sort of notice though, not to go off on a completely different tangent, that the that the the girl children, Brad Pitt's girls, are sort of helpless and need a constant sort of like need to be talked through it. Whereas the boy child, their own age, the first thing we see him do is like he comforts one of the girls he's like oh she was crying i'm taking care of her the next thing we see him do is he takes a gun kills a zombie and save brad pitt's life and then brad pitt before he leaves is like hey take care of my girls yeah. and they did, i mean the movie is kind of inoculated from charges of complete retrograde sexism by the by the israeli uh, female soldier who's probably the only other character we're talking about really mm-hmm. um what but but otherwise it does sort of have this like like the women and children are at home and the men folk are going to go out and like fight the engines. Well, and and on that theme, I read I think it was either Atlantic or Slate or one of those the, the online magazines, and it was talking about how it's kind of this ret- like you have Brad Pitt as a stay at home dad at the beginning and. Uh, his wife, who's such a non-character that I can't That's what got us into trouble. Maybe if he hadn't become a stay-at-home dad. Well, it's like, (laughs) it's not quite saying that, but it's more saying that, like, okay, that's fine. You know, women can work when society's working, but when the stuff hits the fan, then the men need to stand up and the women need to stay at home and talk to them on the phone. Right. Did you guys see, notice a bunch of the sort of mythological and and sort of storybook tableaus that were peppered through the movie? That I felt like we're kind of reinforcing this sort of... uh, traditional cultural narrative like the two that struck me the most were in in when they're in cardiff and they're going after the zombies uh the zombie moan at some point starts sounding like howling wolves right and then brad pitt is there with an axe right so he's sort of the huntsman in a sort of um a similar sort of story about like the british backcountry or whatnot but the big one was when they're walking through cardiff when when uh brad pitt and the israeli soldier woman are walking through cardiff and she has a blue blanket draped over their head right and he's like scraggly with a beard and they're like walking exhausted and worn out through the streets and like no one will take them in right like the no room at the inn joseph and mary you know like uh, townsfolk Right. Yeah, so yeah. Those and sort of like draw the shades. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've felt deliberate to me where they're sort of like saying, you know, these are these are stories of how society is saved and or built back up, you mm-hmm. know, or you know, uh, gosh, these are these are things that we rely on to teach us how to live, and they're yeah. kind of ways that will strengthen us in in uh, things that will strengthen us in the zombie face of the zombies. Were there any more of those, or did you guys see catch anything of that? Huh. I mean, Brad Pitt did totally not die for our sins at the end, I suppose. 
<laughs> yeah, I suppose so. They do get in the RV. Do you think that was a nod at The Walking Dead when it's like, we're going to get in an RV, just like they did in that show? <laughs> yeah. And then someone takes it and they're like, whoops, no RV. Sorry. Uh, I, d- I definitely think this movie would be a lot easier to like in general were it not for the existence of The Walking Dead TV show. Because well, how to so? me, it's like, well, just the TV shows has so much more nuance. And not only that, but like I, the very first thing I said, not, not to make myself seem shallow, is that like, Zombies should be zombie movies should be kind of grisly and have this like very bloody blood and guts element to them and not this sort of sanitized you know there's a lot of action but like you know you don't see a drop of blood spilled and The Walking Dead the TV show is certainly not shy about showing you know the disgusting aspects of zombies and it just I don't know it just sort of struck me that the things that I love about you know, zombie stories is not the large scale destruction that this movie seems to live for, but the sort of like it's people and how people react. And, and, you know, some people will stay at their posts until the moment that the zombies eat them. And some people are going to like literally stab each other in the back to get like a backpack full of food or penicillin. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's the interaction between (laughs) those things is like who, you know, what are the institutions that stay afloat? Who are the people who sacrifice themselves and for what that, that, make zombie stories interesting and this movie's not it's not interested in in how people react it's really just interested in sort of just staging some mayhem yeah it had a couple of tiny little details of that right like the pharmacist at that supermarket is insanely dedicated to his job (laughs) right and the police you have officer to be insane to work at a pharmacy not. in Newark. What? Oh yeah, the police yeah. officer was not dedicated. I, I did sort of feel like that Newark pharmacy scene was almost from like another better draft of the movie. Right, right. Although well, the, the, somebody else on the podcast said that that was their, one of their least favorite scenes, right? Well, well Ben I, said I, Ben said it was that it was too early in the movie, but I think that's a that's an effect of the like the the first act compression that this you yes. know that this movie had right like that, there are no sort of hits of oncoming there are no sort of warnings that come over the uh, the email and people ignore them because they're like oh that's happening way over there yeah and go I mean like go back to go back to old action movies it, they take forever to get started right like the Rock it seems like it's an hour before anyone mentions Alcatraz you know and the the <laughs> Uh, the uh, the uh, the current trend is to just get into you know with as as little fanfare as possible. Just get into the the loud noises and the shaky camera. Wow, this the is like, Rock is know, an old action movie. That that's a sad state of affairs. <laughs> this is like the the like live undead and die hard. <laughs> the Rock, nineteen ninety six. So yeah, I mean, almost twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> it can almost <laughs> it can almost Which, drink. Oh, so, how much better would this movie be if Nicolas Cage started it? <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's a big question. He's just yeah. bewildered the whole time. He's like, I'm from the United Nations, and right. I need to talk to the man. <laughs> you really need a Nicolas Cage to sell that scene where Brad Pitt wakes up in a hospital, where he's supposed to like talk to people who are there into working with him because of who he is and who he works for, and then refuses for five minutes to tell them who he is or who he works for. <laughs> like Nicolas yeah. Cage would have made that deeply compelling but <laughs> I, I feel like the difference with a Nicolas Cage performance is that I would believe that Nicolas Cage would still go through the mo- a Nicolas Cage character would still go through the motions of being totally and utterly confident that his plan is going to work 
right? Like, like, because there's no reason for Brad Pitt to think that what he's going to do is going to accomplish anything, right? Like, <laughs> and it's sort of crazy, especially like it's it's like he's telling the the woman with her hand chopped off that they're going to go to Wales to go to like, <laughs> it's like, all right, sure. And it's like I feel like if Nicolas Cage were in that role, there would be a certain amount of skepticism as for his intentions, but irresistibly irresistibleness of his force of personality that would have like caused it to happen despite any objections or speech to the contrary whereas with brad pitt it's like oh we're all on board it's fine it's good <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know i'm bashing the movie i didn't dislike the movie that much i definitely thought that it wasn't a uh, uh it wasn't much of a zombie movie and it's just sort of something entirely different it's like an ad for yeah. Yeah. vaccines or whatever let me let me phrase yeah let me phrase a question slightly differently, right? So what we have here is basically a horror property which has been remade as an action movie, and we're not satisfied with that, right? There have been cases of that transition working successfully, or there has been case. There's been the movie Aliens, which most people will tell you is not as good as Alien, and it is an action movie, but most people will also tell you that it's an awesome movie, right? So why is it that Aliens works and this one so much does not? Well, well let me, let me kind of ch- not challenge your premise, but I think the problem is that the reason the book is good is because it franchise and moves it to a war story. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the book World War Z is actually deliberately uh, based off of a real uh, nonfiction book, The Good War by Studs Terkel, that's all about World War II. And so what makes the book interesting is that it's this global scale. And so, like, what World War Z, the movie, should have been is a war movie. Um, as opposed to a action movie, which is all about like chasing a MacGuffin across the world, which yeah. is really what this movie was. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I would. I mean, I would say to go back to your question. One notable thing about Aliens, and I would even say the same thing about Terminator Two, right? Where like the original Terminator is much more of a horror thriller movie. Yeah, right? with this killer robot. But it's, I only say I'm bring up Terminator Two because James Cameron did both of them, and right. so James Cameron kind of specializes in this sort of thing, and he does it with The mm-hmm. Abyss too, where right. he takes a movie that could up be a things movie. and sort of altering the genre. Yeah, and, and so he's very good at at finding a really commanding reason to feel good about what's going to happen and 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 weaving it into the characters symbolically and 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 uh i mean the big one that he does is like motherhood right is he throws motherhood into into aliens and he throws motherhood into uh he finds things that are both scary and hopeful that you know mm-hmm. that's really that's really what it is as i sort of talk through it i think that's what it is is that the way that you turn a horror franchise into an action franchise is you find something to feel good about that you also feel scared about Hmm. Um, right, and then, and then thus, like, the feeling scared about it makes sense. Like, it gives it a, a toehold. Like, it gives it a fingerhold in the, in the genre. And then when it turns, you're sort of already operating under a, a scheme. Like, you're already operating under a, a sort of collection of symbols or a collection of subtexts that makes the turn make sense. Sure. Um, so, whereas, like, there has to be something about zombies about the sort of betrayal of society or the existential threat of zombies uh, people's choices yeah 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 do in in the face of a, but also like just even to break it down to a simpler level you know not to be not to be overly simplistic but like if you tell an interesting story about interesting people making interesting choices it'll be interesting like <laughs> can anybody remember the name of any other character besides brad pitt's character can you remember Brad Pitt's character's name? It's not Brad Pitt. Well, I just yeah, read. Barely. I can't. I, I can't remember the last time like I watched a movie with like so many characters and and couldn't remember. Didn't care 
about any of them. Um, and it was just like, there are just no people that I was sorry when they got killed or I was interested in like why they were doing what they did or I was angry at because they made a decision that was so cowardly or so horrible that I couldn't believe it. It was just like, it was not an interesting story. I wonder if you swapped out all the characters from the dwarves from The Hobbit, whether it would have made much of a difference. I can't remember any of their names either, but it doesn't really matter. Thorin. Yeah. Another another answer to my own question is that one of the things that that Cameron seems to do in these movies is he takes a a horror scenario where it seems like there's no real answer, and then he has people sort of go in as a unit and execute a plan, almost like A-Team style, right? Where everybody is like doing their part, and everyone has a role to play, and like, and and the plan sort of works and makes the situation marginally better. Um, and there was no point in this that that really happened, right? Like they they have a plan to go through the the CDC or uh, sorry the WHO and get the the virus, but it it doesn't actually work, right? It just turns into the Brad Pitt show again, um, yeah. and everyone else gets in the way. Yeah. One thing that really struck me is there was a point in the movie where he has a hypothesis. He has a theory. And instead of telling anybody, using the phone he has to tell people, <laughs> I have an idea. He's like, I need to get to a place. I could do this. And it was sort of like he had this feeling, as well as everybody else in the movie, that like if there is going to be a solution, it will come from this man. And right. it's not that like I need to – it's like I will probably not survive this flight. But as long as I can pass this information on, I've done my part. Uh, Brad Pitt does not feel that way. Right. Yeah. In fact, Brad Pitt has this confidence that, like, I will throw a grenade inside this plane and everyone else will die, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that, that, like, there is this sort of willingness that, that, like, you know, as as long as I can can get to the next stage in my journey, it it is sort of, it, it did sort of strike me at some point that, like, what he needs to do is, like, you know, I went out into the field, I found out a little tidbit of information, or just, you know, as long as I can call it in, then uh, then it doesn't matter what happens to me. Because, like, there's got to be a lab that's, I don't know, I mean, if he has a satellite phone, then somebody else has got to have a satellite phone, and maybe you can just tell the people at the World Health Organization what to do, instead of having to walk up to their front door. This movie put a great big premise on, like, a premise premium on uh, FaceTime, right? Like, <laughs> yes. to, in order to, to uh, cure any virus, you need to, like, physically locate patient zero, like, in, in patient zero's natural habitat. That's the way that it works, as we all know. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> the real goal of it, the real goal that they're showing here is how do I get promoted to a high-ranking position in an international aid or political organization, <laughs> right? And that's, like, you travel around a lot and visit people yeah. who do important things, and and, like, have people respect you and think you're the only yeah. person who can do something for no reason. You got a network. <laughs> yeah, you got a network. It's a movie about networking. <laughs> you got to pound the pavement. It's interesting. You know? my, uh, my wife was saying that most zombie movies, or lots of zombie movies, have a lot of travelogue to them. People go from place to place to place. But it's always like they're either looking for a place to hide or they're being chased out of the place that they're in by zombies. This one, he's always, like, chasing something, right? There's a MacGuffin that he's looking for. So it feels much more like, uh, like a, I don't know, a late-season episode of Alias, I think, than it does, like, a, a horror movie of any kind. Yeah, I mean, I would posit. I would also toss up Zombieland as another example of like, okay, we found something that we feel anxious about, that we feel scared about, which is like dating, 
right? And like, yeah. like adolescence. Coming of age. Coming of age and adolescence. And it's like, <laughs> and we're scared about that. And we're going to connect that fear with the zombies. And because we've made that connection and because the people in our movie are interesting, when they turn on it and it isn't so brim, uh, there'll be a basis for appreciating what's happening. Although a parody is an easy genre switch to make. Yeah. Uh, relative to other sorts of genre switches. Like, if they did zombie actually, that would be a much harder. Yeah. <laughs> they they kind of did. It was called Warm Bodies. It was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Zombies actually are all around. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. So I just read online that apparently World War Z did do well enough in its opening weekend so that, as we suspect, they are going to green lights or at least try to develop a sequel. So I don't know. There's there's obviously so much in the book. In fact, almost the entire book that they didn't really attempt to adapt for the screen. I mean, so I, like, I don't know. Yep. I feel like the episodic format would be way better for the book, like a TV show, because then you could it like because most of the stories you could easily fit into forty three minutes, but you don't need necessarily two hours for. They could have done it as a Netflix original thing, where you download all of it and watch it all in one go. <laughs> It yeah. would have been much lower budget, though. Um, True. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the stories are fairly low budget, so it's not it's not an unrealistic idea. Mm-hmm. You know, so, some of them have this sort of, like, city-destroying impact, but some of them are just like, here's my story about how, like, my small plane crashed in the woods, and I had to, like, you know, get to save, get to a place where a helicopter could come get me. Um, I don't know. I, I would see that Netflix show, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh, write to Netflix about that. And in the meantime, we will uh, leave it there for this week's Overthinking a Podcast. Uh, you can join the conversation about this, um, uh, about this, I, I don't know what to call it, but about this film, about this film experience of indeterminate genre uh, <laughs> by emailing <laughs> podcast overthinking by, dot com, by calling or texting 203 Um I've collected now a lot of the texts and voicemails off of that, and, and we've recorded a, uh, we've recorded recorded a, a listener feedback episode that we will uh, post live just as soon as I've been able to edit it. And uh, there's more uh, there's more listener feedback coming in on the way. We're, we're trying to get better about that. So, you know, do uh, do write and do uh, call or text and um, and uh, join the conversation on the show notes for this episode. We will be back next week uh, with another Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. That wasn't the end for the podcast. <laughs> then they talked a lot about movies they actually liked and were excited about. Those were the ones you probably should have listened to. <laughs> <laughs>